Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about part two of the life of Agnes Sanford. Now, Agnes Sanford is kind of special to me. My mom introduced me to Agnes's books when I was in my late teens, early 20s. I think I started with her biography, Sealed Orders, because as a kid, I'd always been fascinated by the picture on the cover. And she and I really enjoyed reading Agnes's books and talking about them and discussing them with each other and what we thought about this and what we thought about that. So Agnes has got a special place in my family, I guess you might say, because my mom and I had read her books so much, we just referred to her as Agnes. And we could be talking about something and mention, well, you remember Agnes said such and such or remember in Agnes's book. And we always knew what Agnes we were talking about. So, I will admit that I am partial to Agnes. Well, when we left off last time, the Lord had miraculously healed and delivered Agnes from a horrific, dark, suicidal depression that was destroying her. And it was so bad that even her own medical doctor didn't believe that she would live for very many uh, years because of the seriousness of this depression. And so the Lord healed her. The Lord delivered her from that. And she broke free of trying to be what everyone else wanted her to be and made the focus of her life being what the Lord wanted her to be. And part of what the Lord wanted Agnes to be was a writer. And so she began writing again. Now, another interesting facet of what the Lord wanted Agnes to be was actually more of a participant in her husband's church. If you recall, Ted, her husband, had told her that he really didn't need her help with anything in the church, and he would, you know, he didn't need her coming with him to go visit uh, parishioners, and he didn't need her to be at the door shaking hands when everyone left. He just told her he wanted her to feel like she was just one of the congregation. Well, the Lord had different plans for Agnes, and that's where we're going to pick up. Right, so... As the Lord healed Agnes, she began to spend a lot more time in the Bible, and she began to study healing and try to find out everything she could from the Bible about healing. And she also began to look at some of the references that were available in her husband's uh, pastoral library that he had as a, a church pastor. And Agnes ended up starting a Sunday school class for young mothers like herself, and they began with the book of Genesis and went all the way through. And every week, Agnes would spend several hours preparing for that class and again, studying the Bible, studying the references that her husband had available. And there was a natural outgrowth of that, of that Bible study with the young mothers as World War II started. So, World War II starts, and many of these mothers have boys that are now the age to go into the military to be drafted. And so Agnes and her group of mothers began to pray very hard during World War II. Now, Agnes said one of the things that they prayed was that their boys wouldn't have to serve in a capacity that required killing. And Agnes said that it seemed like when the mothers prayed that, those prayers were overwhelmingly answered. And they also prayed that the Lord would protect their sons. And they prayed desperately for the end of the war. 
and um, Agnes's husband Ted was doing his part. Now, when we get when I got to this part in Agnes's book, uh, her bio, autobiography, it's kind of where my opinion of Ted changed a little bit. You might have picked up on the fact that I don't like Ted very much. That's just my personal opinion. But I really like what he did. Here it was. It was wartime. There were young men in his church that maybe had been in his church since birth that were being drafted and were being sent off to battle, and they very well may not come home alive. And so Ted uh, would make appointments to meet with these young men in his office. I think it was 30 minutes or an hour. And he would speak with them man to man. He would pray for them, and he would give them a small New Testament and a cross to wear. And a total of 130 young men from their church served in the war. And that is a lot of time that her husband Ted devoted to those young men. And I respect that. And I think that is an excellent uh, example of a good pastor and a good minister. Well, Agnes's World War II service didn't end just in the prayer closet. Agnes was what you call a gray lady, and the gray ladies were a branch of the Red Cross. Now, I learned a little bit about gray ladies when I presented this talk at Atria Willow Park Retirement uh, a home in Tyler, Texas. Now, one of the gentlemen there had served, I believe, in the Korean War, and he said that the gray ladies were very special. They did more for you than anybody else and he said he talked very highly of them he said um they were there for the regular joes they weren't just there for the officers they spent most of their time helping and serving the regular joes and so agnes became a gray lady their job was to provide and i quote friendly personal non-medical services to sick injured or disabled patients now, they got the name Gray Lady because of the uniform that they wore, which was, you can, you can probably guess the color, gray. Okay. Agnes's job as a Gray Lady was to push a heavy cart loaded with adventure magazines, cigarettes, comic books, and snacks, and offer them to the wounded soldiers. And so Agnes uh, served at Tilton Hospital at Fort Dix. This was a huge hospital. And Agnes had to walk a lot of uh, a lot of steps during her uh, volunteer work. Well, at Tilton Hospital, she was instructed to greet each soldier with a cheery word and offer them something from her wagon. Uh, they were instructed never to touch the soldiers, and they were forbidden to talk to the soldiers about God. And this rule was there for a very good reason. Now, I brought up... Um, this story, um, Agnes's experience as a gray lady and what we'll find out happens to her. And I got a mixed reaction. So um, I, I want to explain the Red Cross's reasoning behind this. It wasn't an attempt to keep God out of the hospital. Okay, when they forbade the gray ladies to talk to the soldiers, remember these young men were sick, they were wounded, some of them may well be emotionally disturbed from the things they had experienced during the war, and they were there in the hospital to get better. The rule for the gray ladies was there to protect the recovering soldiers, many of whom were fragile, 
in both mind and body, not to protect them from God, not to protect them from the Bible or from prayer, but to protect them from fanatics and extremists. And let's face it, in modern times, in a situation like this, if you um, have, if you allowed the Christians to go in and begin ministering to uh, the soldiers, then there would be other groups that would also insist on their right, constitutional right, to also minister to the soldiers. And then you would always get those fanatics that could cause a lot of distress and upset. So their overall rule was don't talk to them about God don't don't do it okay leave your religion your open practice of religion outside the doors okay now they couldn't stop the gray ladies from in their hearts and in their own privacy of their own homes from praying for the soldiers they couldn't stop them from praying in their heart as they walked up and down the wards and praying for the presence of the lord to be there so that said some people feel this was a very bad thing that the Red Cross did. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. I Personally, I can see where they were coming from. But this is just the facts I'm laying out. So Agnes had every intention of following that rule. She did. She was going to follow it. She didn't have a problem with it. But as you know, Agnes and rules, uh, they don't really always get along well. So... Um, things changed when Agnes met a young man in need. He was a soldier that reminded her so much of her older son, Teddy. And she said he would look up at her when she came by with those big brown eyes and a turned up nose, but he would tell her he was just lying there rotting. He had an infected bone that simply would not heal. And this was more than Agnes could handle. So Agnes began to quietly break the rules. She said, I know a power that can make you well. She said it very quietly. He said, oh, yeah, didn't have much enthusiasm. She said, yeah, got me out of a pretty bad jam, and it's helped a lot of other people. Want me to tell you about it? He's like, okay, shoot. She says, if I do, you got to promise to keep it a secret because I'm not supposed to talk like this. And he's like, Okay, okay. And he looked kind of relieved, and she figured he didn't want to get teased by the other soldiers for talking about whatever it was Agnes was about to present to him. So Agnes says it's like this. There's a power in the air, sort of like electricity, and I've learned how to let it come through me into a person, and it helps them get well, you know, sort of like x-ray. And he looked at her, and he kind of shrugged and said, well, I may as well try it. And she said, it's God's power, so I have to talk to God. Is that okay? He nodded his head. And she said, don't worry. Nobody will know I'm talking to God. And look, we want the power to come into the leg. So I'm going to slide my hand under these comic books, and it's all right. I will not let anyone see me, and you'll feel that power come in. And Agnes did just that. She, as she put it, talked to God with her eyes open. And he said to her, it feels hot. She said, well, sure, it's kind of like of electricity. Well, about a month went by, and every week when Agnes saw him, she would very discreetly pray for him. And soon, guys, the infection was gone, and the leg was healed. The infection was gone, and the leg was healed. Now, some people 
when Agnes would tell this story, openly criticized her and said, you should have asked if he was a Christian first before you prayed for him. And Agnes said if she had tried approaching it that way, he would have clammed up. And she just didn't feel led of the Lord that was the right way to handle it. But guys, that young man was healed. Here he had a horrible bone infection that no doubt was terribly painful and probably smelled bad. And he was a young man, and he had sustained that injury trying to fight for the freedom of his country. And I love it that the Lord sent Agnes in there, and she prayed for him. Well, Agnes began to pray for the Lord to show her who she needed to speak to. One time she's walking through the ward, and this young man comes up, and he says, You don't remember me, do you? And Agnes said, No, I don't. And he said, My leg was full of osteocy, and now it's well. And it was the sweet young man that she had prayed for, and he was back in the hospital for a checkup and was all well walking without a problem. And uh, Agnes pointed out that during this time of serving in the hospital and discreetly trying to pray for these soldiers, knowing she was breaking Red Cross rules, that there was no follow-up possible. There was no time for long lectures on the theology behind healing. There was no lengthy prayers. There were no dramatic prayers. There was no opportunity to even anoint them with oil or anything like that. But Agnes said she had more success during that time than any other time in her ministry. And I think it's neat how the Lord was there having mercy on these young men from all across the United States that had been injured in wartime. Now, a young Mennonite soldier asked Agnes if it was God's will for his leg to be healed. And Agnes, you know, he was concerned if he should pray. You know, what if I pray and it's not God's will? And Agnes said, well, if it's not God's will, then your leg won't be healed. So you don't have anything to worry about. Now, this particular young man, the Mennonite, he had a third degree burn on his ankle and he'd been stuck in bed for months and Agnes had noticed he was unhappy, not just about his ankle, which was no doubt horribly painful, but about his soul. He was very saddened at the filthy talk in the ward. Now, Agnes never heard this filthy talk. The guys didn't use that kind of language when Agnes was in the room. Or when the other gray ladies were in the room, out of respect for them, the, the soldiers didn't talk that way. But when the ladies were gone, they did, and it was very upsetting. This young man had never used that type of language. He had been raised that that was wrong, and he was very saddened about it. Well, he and Agnes, they prayed, and his ankle was healed. So here we see another awesome example of God's healing power. Now, when Agnes saw him the next time, he was positively glowing. And it turned out not only had his ankle been healed, but his heart had been healed too. And when Agnes encountered a Roman Catholic in the ward, she reached out to the nuns at the hospital to pray specifically for that Roman Catholic man that needed healing. And God, by the way, guys, when I keep referring to young men, remember this is World War II and the women uh, were not serving in a combat capacity. And so it's not that I'm trying to be um, 
biased or anything against women in the military. This is simply the time period. If you look at the pictures, you can do a search on the internet and look for pictures uh, where the Red Cross was working with soldiers during World War II, and it's all male soldiers. And that's what Agnes encountered at uh, the, the Tilton Hospital at Fort Dix. Well, when she would encounter a Roman Catholic, she would get the nuns to pray, and the nuns started praying for them, and then they told Agnes they didn't mind praying for the Protestants, too. So Agnes was seeing a lot of success here in working with these injured young men. Now, there's a special story that Agnes tells about uh, a soldier named Frederick. Frederick was at Tilton Hospital in a private room, and that typically meant that the soldier's death was imminent. And so apparently there was no hope for Frederick to recover. And Agnes had seen him. He was thin. He was drawn. She said he looked like a wizened old monkey, and he was just probably 20 years old. And she said his skin was yellow, and he was so gaunt that his skin fluttered between his ribs when he breathed. And she said there were tubes in his wrist and tubes in both nostrils. And one day when she went by, he was in the room alone. And so she walked in with her car. And she talked to him like the soldiers talked. She said, you look like you're about washed up. He said, yep. And Agnes said, what's the trouble? She couldn't see any wounds. Uh, She couldn't smell any infection. He said, blood clots. And she said, that was an understatement. And Agnes thought that sounded simple enough. She could pray for that. And so she told him of a power that could help him heal. But he closed his eyes and just dismissed it. She said, listen, in a more forceful tone. And he opened his eyes, probably in a mother voice. Listen, if you'll just let me try, I promise I will never mention the matter again, win or lose. How about it? Okay, he said, and he pulled back the sheet. And his entire abdomen looked like a pool of dark blood it was just barely covered by a membrane he said my guts were torn out they didn't want to carry me in from the battlefield but i told them they had to and agnes said if she had known beforehand the seriousness of his condition she wouldn't have tried but she was in it now so she laid her hands on each side of that dark pool of blood that was his abdomen, and she prayed. And in Agnes's mind, she pictured the stomach and all the other organs in perfect condition. And then when Agnes got home, she called every single prayer group she knew and had them put Frederick on their list. Because she knew nothing short of a mighty miracle from God would work. The next week, she passed by his room, and he was sleeping. The week after that, he wasn't in his room, but his bed was messed up, which meant that he still had to be around. Now, mind you, that was all, that was the sum total of Agnes' discussion with him. Again, she had no time to talk to him about healing. She didn't ask him if he was a Christian or not. A lot of these things go against, I guess you might say, the box that the modern church has put healing in. We have all these rules and regulations that we feel like must be followed. But how many times have we put the Lord's power to heal, the Lord's power to deliver, the Lord's power to save in a box of our own making? 
So here, Agnes is not following any of the rules that you usually do. But she was just praying in faith, believing that the Lord could heal him and that the Lord would heal him. And this was a real test of her faith. Remember, Agnes said if she had seen the condition of his abdomen with, as he put it, his guts torn out, she would not have offered to pray for him if she knew that's how serious it was. But the Lord was testing her as a part of bringing about healing for this young man. Agnes was being tested. And so she gave it all she had in praying. Then a few weeks later, she heads on to the common room thinking, well, he might be feeling well enough to be there. And as she walked in, she noticed this real handsome young man lit up when he saw her. And he was just smiling broadly at her. And he had a nice ruddy color to his skin and a twinkle in his eye and this knowing smile on his face. And Agnes thought, no. And she walks up to him. She says, you can't be Frederick, can you? He said, yes, ma'am, I am. And he was just smiling from ear to ear. He was healed. The hospital had put him in that room, believing that by medical standards, his death was imminent. But the Lord had healed him and pulled him back from death's door. Here, Can you imagine the seriousness of the injuries if they wanted to leave him in the field and not even bring him back to the hospital in the first place? But the Lord healed him. The Lord can do what to us is impossible. It is not impossible with God. And Agnes said he was discharged three weeks after she prayed for him. Discharged from the hospital. That is a miracle, a true miracle. And Agnes was speaking with one of the hospital chaplains about Frederick. Now, this was a hospital chaplain who had promised that he would keep Agnes's ministry a secret. And it turns out that after Agnes had prayed for him, and remember, Agnes only had one opportunity to lay hands on him and pray for him. After she prayed for him, he began to visit the chaplain's office, asking questions and seeking the Lord. And I think that is just, just awesome. Well, Agnes is about to get in trouble. All right, so let's talk about how Agnes got caught and what happened. She had grown careless, and one of the uh, physicians overheard her praying for one of the soldiers. And she was brought into the office of the local Red Cross head. And Agnes described this woman that she was brought into the presence of as an enraged female of uncertain years. <laughs> Agnes said she had never before and never since heard such a stream of rage come from someone. I mean, this woman was ticked. And it turns out the Red Cross lady was a member of a church that did not believe in healing, which was very common at that time. And in her eyes, that made Agnes's actions all the worse. So it was for her, from the way that woman believed, it was more than Agnes breaking the uh, Red Cross rules. It was bordering on Agnes uh, committing an act of um, blasphemy or heresy. And Agnes said nothing, which is shocking considering um, 
Agnes's personality, but Agnes said nothing because she knew she couldn't give away the identity of any of the soldiers because she had promised them that no one would ever find out. So Agnes just said nothing. She turned in her uniform, which she had paid for, by the way, and headed home. But the Lord had more work planned for her that time in her her life that time in her ministry was over, and the Lord was soon going to be opening up some other doors. So Agnes got caught, which I think is sad, but I like all the good that she was able to do before she was caught. And you know, this brings up a lot of ethical questions for us as Christians. If we are in a situation where we are forbidden to talk about the Lord, but we think we need to, what should we do? You know, what are, how would the Lord have us handle these situations? Does the Lord tell us to break the rules? So it's a lot of food for thought here. And I'm not trying to make a comment one way or another on this. The important thing is that we all follow the Lord and that we follow our own conscience before God and we do what we feel like the Lord wants us to do. But as Christians, we also have to remember if we do break the rules, we will likely face repercussions. And that's just part of accepting that this could happen. And um, I love it that Agnes kept her promise to the soldiers. Their identity was never revealed. That's another thing. As Christians, we should be people of our word and we should keep the promises that we make to others. Well, Agnes got back to writing and the Lord also opened up another major door for her. She was offered grant money to start a training center for pastors to learn more about healing in 1958. By this time, Agnes had begun doing lectures on what she had learned about the healing power of God, uh, the healing gifts of the Spirit. And she had begun writing about it, and her books were becoming more popular. So people knew about her. People were beginning to learn about her, and there was a great interest at this time in the church on the subject of healing. Now, at that time, however, while there was interest among Christians, it was not a topic that was encouraged in most of the seminaries at that time. But there were many ministers that were very open to the idea, and they wanted to be able to help the people in their congregations. And so um, Agnes and her husband, Ted, through that grant money, were able to start that kind of school. Pastors were taught about the theology behind healing, which was taught by Ted, and how to pray for healing, which was taught by Agnes. And Ted would have been what we would think of as the strict high church minister, and Agnes is what we would call now probably a charismatic. And so they were an interesting balance. Um, Her practical applications balanced out well his... uh, emphasis on theology and so these pastors were then able to go back and minister to the people in their churches and teach their people how to pray for themselves well ted said to her one day when they were in the initial preparation for the school agnes why don't you talk more about how i'm going to run this school and they exchanged a few words and agnes very gently reminded him that it was supposed to be a joint venture well the next time ted brought it up he made sure to use the word we and something else ted might have forgotten is they came to agnes uh, about starting this school not ted 
They came to Agnes about it. But um, it was it was a joint effort. The Lord used them both in it. And Agnes admitted that working with Ted could be very difficult. She said, for example, he never wanted an assistant pastor. He just wanted a secretary that could take orders. And those were his own words. But they managed to make it work. And as an interesting side note, the School of Pastoral Care continues to operate to this day. Well, the next major change in Agnes's life is going to be the death of her husband, Ted. Ted's death came about, and I wouldn't say suddenly, his health had begun to fail, and a lot of Agnes's time had shifted from writing to caring for him. And she continued teaching and lecturing because they needed the money, and he was no, no longer able to work as a pastor. And so when Agnes would have to leave town to go lecture or um, teach, she would trust the Lord to keep Ted alive while she was gone, and that's exactly what the Lord did. Well, Ted's health had kept worsening. He had heart attacks. He had a major stroke, and he was absolutely terrified of death, and he talked to Agnes about that, and they prayed about it together. And then one night, his fear of death went away. He had a dream, and in his dream, he was sitting in his chair, and he was. it was nighttime. A lot of times he would stay up and watch TV, and Agnes would, I think, would go ahead and go to bed. And so, in his dream, he could see himself sitting in his chair and watching TV, and he just quietly went to sleep. And Ted died in his chair one night, watching a baseball game, much like he did in his dream. And I think... It's wonderful how the Lord can remove our fear of things. In this case, his fear of death. A dream, no doubt from the Lord, was able to take away that, that fear of death. And so he passed. Agnes found him the next morning, and he looked like he had merely fallen asleep. And Agnes grieved terribly over Ted's death, and it led to a lot of changes in her own life. And so she increased her work. No doubt she was trying to run from the grief. And she was afraid of falling into the old depression that she had struggled with. And this makes sense, and this is a natural way, I think, that most of us would react to a similar situation. Well, she fell in love with a man during her travels. And it turned out that he wasn't interested in marriage. And with Agnes, if he wasn't interested in marriage, it was not going to work out. And so Agnes was heartbroken again, but she kept working and working and working and working and overworking. And that's when she discovered that she had breast cancer. And no matter how hard Agnes prayed, the breast cancer would not go away. And so she finally had radiation and surgery. And once again, she was afraid that at the aftermath of this illness, she would fall into depression. But the Lord kept her, and she did not fall into a depression again. And Agnes was able to recover and went back to work writing, lecturing, and teaching. And this is one of the things that puzzles a lot of us when someone that is very vocal in believing in the power of God to heal 
Maybe they have prayed for people to be healed, and yet when they get sick, they aren't healed. There's a lot of things that we just don't understand, okay? That doesn't mean that that person does not have a gift for healing. That doesn't mean that that person didn't believe in healing. The Bible tells us to judge not lest we be judged. And this is one of those instances where we shouldn't judge. And frankly, it's not really our business. But I'm glad that Agnes went ahead and went to a medical doctor to get the help she needed. I do believe myself personally that as Christians, we believe in healing. We pray for healing, but we also use um, what the Lord makes available to us in the way of medical help. If it be surgery, if it be chemotherapy, if it be radiation, that it is a decision to be made between that person and the Lord on what route that they should take. And I do not believe another person has a right to tell someone, you don't take that medicine. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't take that medicine. But I'm, I'm getting off topic, but that's just my opinion. And my opinion's not worth much, but that's, that's my opinion. And I just wanted to clarify that. Um, even though Agnes herself was not healed, she continued to pray for people, and they were healed. Well, Agnes went on to continue teaching and praying and helping people right up until her death at age 85 years old. She wrote 17 books, including some that were bestsellers. She held countless lectures and teaching sessions on healing and prayed for a countless number of people to be healed and saw many miracles that the Lord worked. She passed away on February 21, 1982, at her home in Monrovia, California. Now, one thing that I want to point out is a key aspect of Agnes's view on healing. She firmly believed the only effective motive that we can have when praying for someone to be healed is compassion. Let me say that again. She believed the only effective motive when praying for another to be healed was compassion. Jesus himself, it said in the Bible, was moved by compassion in Mark one forty one. Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on the widow that was burying her only son. And he prayed for that boy and the boy was resurrected. He had compassion on Mary and Martha in their grief after Lazarus had passed. He had compassion on the multitudes when they had been out there all day and hadn't had anything to eat. Jesus, his love, caused him to have compassion. And I think that is one of the aspects that is missing from modern Christianity. Genuine Christianity has to have compassion. And when we as Christians lose our compassion for our fellow man, it is a sign that we have lost our love our love for the Lord like we should have it. Because if we love the Lord, we are going to love our fellow man. If we are in a right relationship with God, there will be an outflow of compassion and love for others. And Agnes pointed out that it is true. Jesus is glorified when people are healed. But when healing occurs without compassion on the heart, 
on the compassion in the heart of those doing the praying, the heart of that person will not be truly touched. Many of those young men that she prayed for at the hospital, at Tilton Hospital, ended up becoming Christians. They were saved and born again. There was that compassion, that concern, that love. And again, guys, if we are where we should be as Christians, compassion is one of the natural things that will flow out from us. Compassion. And may we as Christians never lose our compassion, never lose our compassion for the lost, never lose our compassion for the sick, never lose our compassion for the mentally ill, never lose our compassion for the criminal, for the imprisoned, never lose our compassion for the immigrant, never lose our compassion for the refugee, never lose our compassion for our own family members. May we never Lose that compassion because that compassion is an outflow of the love of Jesus Christ and that will draw people to the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed this uh, this podcast on Agnes. Uh, again, Agnes is one of my favorites and I thank you for listening.